Welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. There's a passage in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 21 through 28, that I've always struggled with, and I suspect others, in fact I know, others have struggled with as well. Jesus had been at the Galilee healing the sick, and now, as it says, Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and cried, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely possessed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not fair to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Homilies that I've heard and things that I've read have always recognized the jolt we feel when we hear that particular passage. I mean, quite bluntly, it sounds as if Jesus initially is not being very nice. He's dismissing her. He's basically telling her she's not worth his time. But the point is made that ultimately he does help her, and he does so after she demonstrates an extraordinary faith, a faith that even his apostles have failed to do. It's a good explanation, and it's one I probably ought to accept, but I can't shake something, and that is a sense of arbitrariness. And that sense of arbitrariness, that concern, let's not say sense, but concern about arbitrariness and how one is to deal with it, which I suppose that's what Job dealt with, or the sense of randomness and arbitrariness still lingers, and it raises a subject related to a book that I recently read about hell, and who goes there, or who does not go there, or does anybody go there. It raises for me the idea of perceived arbitrariness in a kind of reverse. In the case of the Canaanite woman, ultimately persuaded by her faith, or actually he didn't need to be persuaded, impressed, if that's the right word, or demonstrating to the apostles and to those gathered her faith, he does help her and heals her daughter. In the case of this discussion about hell, which I'm proposing for today, I guess I want to tussle with a kind of reverse arbitrariness or perceived arbitrariness, and that is the idea that it is possible, as some theologians are saying in the Catholic Church, that no one is in hell. To be clear, I'm not looking to battle with anyone. I just want to talk about it with you and think about it with you. As so many things have, it has been a source of contentiousness within the Church between the more traditional Catholics and those who, I guess, will call us the Novus Ordo folk. The main proponent, perhaps not the only one, but the one whose book caused quite a stir was 
Hans Urs von Balthasar, who wrote the book we're going to talk about, or the book I'm going to talk about, badly, I might add, because it's quite dense, uh, and that is called Dare We Hope. Even in the preface, the late father von Balthasar points out that he was given a great deal of criticism over just the mere proposal that we ought to hope as Christians that no one is in hell, that we concede to a possibility that no one is in hell. And to the extent anyone has ever repeated that dare we hope, there has also been enormous amounts of controversy. I would be lying if I didn't repeat that I have a difficulty with this partly because of its extreme from what I was originally taught as a child, which may or may not have been actual theology, but it was certainly what was passed down to us. So that, for example, my parents, one of whom was not a practicing Catholic and the other one who wasn't Catholic, were going to hell. I suppose that's the danger with extremes is that people just never seem to have a thoughtful middle, although thoughtful middles are proposed by great thinkers all over the place. But in our daily interactions, we tend to say it's this or that, which works when you're a child, perhaps, but not so much when you're an adult. Aside from the cognitive dissonance of what I heard as a child, and which, of course, I've come to realize is not necessarily the case, there are so many personality aspects, emotional aspects, moral aspects, intellectual aspects that enter into whether or not someone is going to go to hell, theological aspects, but it makes my head rattle when you see an extreme of you're going to hell just for this that seems to the rational mind not necessarily fair or as I said earlier about the Canaanite woman, it seems arbitrary. And then the other side that we dare to hope that no one goes to hell. And then there's the other aspect of it, which is we see incredible evil around us. Just the other day, two young police officers, one 31 years old and one 24 year old were nearly killed both shot in the head by someone who is feeling some level of an extreme, obviously, in the current debates that are happening in the United States. And it's hard to look at that and say, dare we hope that that person isn't going to hell. Now again, I recognize, particularly in Catholic theology, the place for repentance, true sorrow for the sin and a and a consequent absolution that restores one to the human and spiritual community but when you consider the sheer number of willful intentional evil acts perpetrated by human beings one against the other and sometimes against entire groups by another group it's hard to reconcile that level of evil with the idea that all such people have repented. And then the question becomes, is repentance the final thing that's necessary or is there something that God can do besides? I mean, 
is it entirely dependent on human repentance and then God's consequent response? Or can God just do what he wants because he's merciful? And that's part of what we'll talk about as we get more to the nitty-gritty of my rambling. I suppose when you look at things in a general way, it's easier to say, I hope that no one is in hell. But another thing that has brought this to my attention is a meme, if you will, that has gone around Facebook for a long time and went around again with uh, color pictures of children in Auschwitz, many of whom were killed, murdered by the Nazis. One of the things I want to make very clear and what I feel absolutely with an intensity you cannot believe and that is when one group talks about another group or an individual talks about another individual it's often as if the person complaining about the bad behavior is taking the position that there's somebody out there who isn't capable of the same kind of evil as the Nazis that's the problem is that every single person every group every nation every race every religion merely because we are fallen humans and that hasn't changed are capable of the most vile behavior I am capable of horrible things merely because I am a fallen sinful human and I sometimes am capable of using my free will in a way that is immoral so when I talk about the Nazis I'm not talking about them alone I'm talking about the nature of human misconduct so with that digression let me go back to Auschwitz and the Nazis and the meme is of a, a little girl beautiful little girl about 12 or 14 years old I'm going to say her name wrong probably her name was Czeslawa Kwoka it just happens she was Catholic I didn't know that when I first saw the meme but of course six million Jews and others were murdered in the Nazi concentration camps because of pure utter hatred this little girl is pictured as they apparently did for some of the inmates they would take registration pictures of them and there are many pictures of children like her all of whom were murdered in the concentration camps many of them by injections of carbolic acid into the heart there's no real indication of exactly what this little girl died of but one thing we do know is she was hit just before that picture was taken and you can see the the injury to her mouth all because the guard got angry at her for not speaking the language of the guard and then somehow or another she was murdered she never got to live out her life because of human evil how does one look at that in terms of the consequence the potential consequence of hell so this is actually a good time to try to outline the concept of the book dare we hope and the nuanced musings of theologians from Balthazar to others today some might look to the concepts of dairy hope as hopeful others might say that it is an arbitrary unfairness I'm not sure that I have an answer in fact I'm sure I don't have an answer who am I but it's something that does concern me from time to time more than from time to time I always want to repeat that 
I'm not a theologian, and that any time I talk about this kind of stuff, particularly something this esoteric, I am doing so as another ordinary Catholic trying to tussle with things that affect me and all of us deeply. So here goes. We are, since the fall, and even after the reconciliation that is the death and resurrection of Christ, subject to judgment at our death, a particular judgment as soon as we die, and then after that the general judgment when Christ comes. This is always a fact. Second thing, we have free will, as we did in the Garden of Paradise, when we exercised it really poorly, to choose to obey God, to exercise our will with grace for our sanctification and his glory. Three, we are looking essentially through our lives at two doors, two things that can happen to us related to eternity. Of course, this discussion presupposes that death is not just a, a period, an end. We can choose God and accept his salvation, or we can say that we will not serve and be cast into hell. Actually, he would cast us nowhere. We would be casting ourselves into hell, which opens up another subject for a long dissertation. What is this hell? Is it fire? Is it brimstone or the eternal absence of God by our own hands? In this instance, hell arguably is of our own creation, which God permits, honors our choice, if you will, even though it's a horribly bad choice. So this is where it gets a little naughty, that the idea is that maybe the option to escape hell or to avoid hell is not foreclosed, if I'm understanding it again, even after death. So, in that regard, it is true that the Church has never said officially that anyone is in hell. It suggests that we simply cannot know and do not know. The point also of this book, or one of the points, is that the idea of hell contradicts arguably the salvific will of God to bring all men to himself, to that he would not abandon anyone to hell, that God's inexhaustible mercy, as I'm understanding it again, can supersede even hell itself and the apparent choice that humans have made or may make to separate themselves from God, which is, of course, hell. The thought is that although we talk about the justice and mercy of God, that perhaps the concept of hell may overestimate the justice and not enough the mercy of God. And our sense of justice really has no comparison to his, nor of his mercy. Now, we know this. God's ways are not our ways. God's qualities are so outside the realm of our capacity to grasp them. He could restore all things, including souls, that seem to have, or in fact have, damned themselves. I keep repeating this, if I understand it. Folks like Origen and his interpreters, in this aspect of the theory, might even suggest that the devils could potentially be transformed and returned to the good of grace. I have to admit that I almost fell out of my chair when I read this particular concept. 
All things are possible with God, of course. Everything resides in his conceded omnipotence, so he can bring everything back to its original condition. And everyone, it kind of circles round to the idea that hell frustrates God's salvific plan. I suppose another way of looking at that argument is that God's mercy and his justice merge perfectly in the idea, in the hope, that no one is actually in hell. That we creatures, in a sense, don't have the right to presume on God or the nature and consequences of his acts. And finally, that while we may not know, it is good for us to hope that no one is in fact experiencing the perpetual suffering of hell. Well, you can imagine the storm and stress of the views that are held by distinct factions of the Catholic Church, the traditionals and those who are considered more progressive, or those who are in the middle. For myself, going back to that story, well not story, the history of man's inhumanity to man that was the Holocaust, I find myself not that eager to concede, alas, God's um, decision to try to restore those folks to himself. Such a feeling, I fear, is a bit of a blasphemy because who am I to challenge God? The one thing that I sort of go to when I said that, that gives me some calm, is that the Jews always took the position that they argue with God, and that always is something that I, I have always felt very comforting when I'm in the middle of my arguments with God. Now, those who quarrel with the premise of Dare We Hope and I suppose they do more than quarrel, I think many people think it's heretical, is that if you look at many passages in the Bible, both in the Old and the New Testament, though the New Testament tends towards the more merciful aspect of God, is that there are quite a few folk in hell. You have quite a variation of evils that can lead to hell, I mean, for my part, I've always been a little sad with the idea that Judas might be in hell because, after all, he did what most of us would have done under the circumstances of the dramatics of our Lord coming to save us and not understanding the reality of God's supernatural aspect and expecting him to basically become a leader among the Jews. That is, God becoming as man wanted him to be, not as God being as God wants us to be. I suppose if anyone, quote, deserves the mercy of God, it is Judas, because he despaired. That was the difference between him and Peter. Peter stuck around after he failed. Judas didn't. But for my part, what I worry about is that I'd be more like Judas than like Peter. And I would hate to think that that impulsive act would lead to my damnation. So the proposal of Dairy Hope is very applicable, works for me, when it comes to the case of Judas. But when it comes to the case of someone like a Hitler, not so much. I recognize that human terms, and in fact it puts in mind another parable of Jesus's related to the workers. 
you remember the one where uh, a bunch of guys are hired in the morning to do some field work and they're given a certain amount for that work for that period of time and then some guys come along later in the day and only work a couple of hours and they end up getting the exact same salary well of course the guy who owns the vineyard or the farm has the right to do whatever he wants except in the United States he'd probably be sued in some court because he's not allowed to engage in any kind of action in his own private property that uh, others may find objectionable and so we lament God's unequal treatment of us in our lives and if this premise of dare we hope is true arguably true that it is possible no one is in hell then wow that is really something we are looking at and say hey God that's not fair and then I'm not gonna answer these questions because I don't know how to answer this question but here's one question doesn't this premise kind of negate the reality of free will maybe they address it in the book but I don't remember it's presumptuous of me to suggest this but then doesn't this result make the whole history of the people of God from Adam and Eve through the Israelites who broke covenants over and over because of free will and suffered the consequences thereby to this very day doesn't that all become somehow redundant and we human beings will take something like possibility that hell is empty to a unilateral reality and thereby could we arguably be led to the very hell we are trying to abrogate the human mind is limited and if you take the position that God can just simply wipe away the consequence of sin which of course he always could he could from the moment that sin was committed in the Garden of Eden but does not that also abrogate the consequence of sin for which Christ came to save us all of this as you start talking about it and thinking about it becomes a little bit like how many angels can dance on the head of a pin if you were to say certainly that no one is in hell then you'd be engaging in this I guess it's a heresy called universalism but the point is made in Dare We Hope that it is not universalism to say we hope that no one is in hell. We're not saying there's a certainty, but we do hope. And part of our Christian premise is that we love all and wouldn't want in charity to see people in hell. The other argument that occurs to me, though, is that the charity to those who are good suggests that to relieve those who have committed heinous acts and who died with those heinous acts still being part of their being is not in fact charity at all. I wonder whether also the theory negates the concept of faith without acts is dead. So if you had faith, even though you commit all these heinous acts, you'd still not make it into hell. Seems a little contradictory, no? I mean, I don't have to go all the way back to Hitler or all the pieces of history in which human beings have committed horrible acts against one another. Just living in this time, seeing what's happening, just reading some of the things that people wish others on Facebook, one has a hard time being charitable about the presence or lack thereof of hell. So now that I've disrupted your happy Saturday, 
which is the day on which I publish these podcasts, what am I going to offer as a solution? Well, as I said, I'm not going to offer anything as a solution because my mind is completely addled by all of this, as it is by pretty much every subject having to do with human life, thus my life and your life. There may be days in which I'm willing to say that person deserves hell, and I'm going to admit that it probably has happened in the past as well. So that is my human failing, arguably. Or is it a human good? I don't know. But I've come to a middle ground that is actually expressed in the book, Dare We Hope, at page 66, quoting Kierkegaard, who wrote a book called Fear and Trembling, which I also read a long time ago. And if this was difficult, you can imagine what that one was like. But I think that at least for today, this is where I'm going to settle. Not a solution, but I'm settling there to get a rest. And this is what he said, Kierkegaard. In my life, I have never got farther, nor will I get farther than fear and trembling. That point at which I am literally quite certain that everyone else will easily attain the bliss of heaven, and only I shall not. Telling other people you are eternally lost is something I cannot do. As far as I am concerned, the situation is that all the others will, of course, go to heaven, the only doubt is whether I shall get there. I don't think I'm even as quite as good as Kierkegaard, but at least for today, for this podcast, I just throw it out there because I read the book, because it is something being discussed on the, what do people call it, the interwebs and in theological circles, as it always has been. And it is something of significance in terms of the potentiality for our eternal life. So it's worth thinking about, right? And all I can do right now is pray that I can trust in God's justice and mercy and leave it to the fact that all of this at some level is beyond my pay grade, except insofar as I try to follow his will with greater or lesser success. with that, we end another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. We look forward, I look forward, to talking to you again. <laughs>